Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. And you can find that in the Pew Bible on page 849. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see, not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joy. Good morning. I'd like to dismiss at this time the folks who are going to go off to the ESL. Uh, the English is the second language for the sermon portion. And then uh, also the kiddos, the four-year-olds up to kindergarten, you can be dismissed now as well. So it's such a delight. To have these folks with us, many of them uh, don't speak English very well, and so this is just an opportunity, opportunity for them to hear what we're talking about in the, in, during the church service. And uh, I would encourage you, all of us, 
to, to try to speak as much as possible uh, to them, just to help them practice their English a little bit, and uh, just, to, just to love on them. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing, too. So it is a great thing that they are visiting with us, and uh, not just visiting, they're, they're becoming a part of the church, I guess I should say, uh, more, more than that. But, uh, so it's just, it is a good thing. But anyway, well... Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would help us now. Help us to understand your word. Help us, as Michael prayed, to, to just to sit at your feet, to be taught by you. We need you. And so I just pray for clarity. I pray for uh, open hearts. I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for a little over a year now, my son, my youngest son, Jordan, has had his private pilot's license, um, which has been kind of fun. He's taken us up in the plane a little bit. We've been able to fly around with him. But now he's in the phase uh, of trying to get his instrument rating. I don't know if there's anybody else in the room that has their instrument rating as a pilot, uh, but it's kind of interesting, as Jordan was explaining to me the process, but the, 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 big, the big idea is that as he's flying the plane, he can't look out the window. Uh, he's got to only look at the gauges that are right there in, in front of him. And to make it a little bit more realistic, he also has these special glasses he has to put on so that it actually blocks him from looking out the window, and so he can only see those gauges there is an instructor next to him, <laughs> um, so that's, that's good news, uh, but it, it is kind of interesting, and I don't know if you could figure out why this type of training might be important, and, and perhaps there's more than one reason, but I do know that one reason is clouds. Yeah, clouds. It turns out that clouds are very dangerous for a pilot because when the pilot takes his plane into the cloud he can't see anything also it's just white or gray or whatever it is and so it disorients him it confuses him he doesn't know whether to go left doesn't know whether to go right go up or down he can't figure things out and so in that moment he must trust his gauges he must look at those instruments that are in front of him because if he doesn't He's going to come out of that cloud, heading towards the ground, perhaps, at speeds that he can't pull the plane back up. Jordan says that's actually there's a name for that. It's called the graveyard spiral, which kind of says it all. But clouds are dangerous and confusing places to be in. Now, I don't know about you, but I know it's sometimes... I feel like just in my life, I just enter a season of going into a cloud. Just can't make heads or tails of things. I can't figure things out. I, can't, I don't know what's up, what's down. I don't know which go to go to right, go to left. I just don't understand. It's confusing. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking uh, in, from chapter 13 up into chapter 16 of Jesus' last night with his disciples before he was crucified. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we've, we've been seeing this growing confusion in the hearts and the minds of the disciples. They can't quite figure out what's going on. They've entered a cloud of confusion. 
And their confusion, in my opinion, reaches a fever pitch in these verses before us this morning. Jesus has been telling them that he's going away. And you can probably imagine their shock and horror as they're hearing these words. Like, what, what on earth? What are we supposed to do? Who's going to continue the ministry? People want to see you. You're the founder, Jesus. You're the one doing all the miracles. They're not coming to see us Galilean fishermen. How can we do this? How can we continue this work? Jesus tells them that he's going to go to his father and he will prepare a place for them. But where, where is that place? Where, where is the father? Is he going to come back? And then he talks about, last week we saw, that he talks about the helper. He's going to send the helper who's going to come. But there's just some elusiveness and an intangibleness about this helper. He even tells them that they're going to be hated because they are so devoted and following him. And yet, one of the twelve are going to betray him. Peter. Peter is going to deny him three times times before it's all over. Things aren't just making sense. And now Jesus is saying, for a little while, they're not going to see him, and and a little while longer, they will see him. (sighs) Their heads are spinning. Like, What is going on? How are they going to live life without Jesus? How are they going to live life without Jesus being physically present with them? What the disciples don't realize is that Jesus is preparing them for living in the world without him by giving them the instruments that they are going to need. He's preparing them in this moment. He's saying, here's some instruments, here's some things that you're going to need to make it through it. Maybe to go back to the idea of the airplane, Jesus is preparing the disciples to enter the cloud of life without his physical presence by teaching them to depend on the instruments that he's going to provide them. So let's let's consider for a moment what this cloud looks like And then we'll get into the instruments that Jesus gives us to make it through the cloud. And there's going to be three instruments. But let's start with the cloud and talk about what this this looks like. Or or perhaps even better, what this cloud feels like. Because there's a lot of feeling words in this passage. And we can start off with something we've already been talking about, but that is confusion. From verses 16 to 19, we can just feel the confusion of the disciples as they're trying to consider and figure out what Jesus means. Look again with me in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says, a little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while, and you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. What are you talking about? Can can you feel that confusion? It's it's just oozing out all over the place. 
The irony is that this confusion remains with us all the way till today. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? Because we really have two choices here. We, we could say, well, Jesus is talking about his, his death, so they're not going to see him when he dies. But then when he rises again three days later, they will see him. Or we could talk, talk, think that he's talking about his second coming. So when he ascends and goes back to the Father, they're not going to see him. But when he comes back, we will see him as his disciples. So, so which is it? What do you think? It'd be interesting if this was more of a Bible study uh, time. We could open it up for discussion. And I bet you we would be pretty well divided on what we think. I, I don't think we need to choose, just to kind of relieve that tension a little bit. I think we kind of see both of these things taking place in Jesus referring to both of these events in this passage. However, however, I would say there is an emphasis on the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, the, the death and resurrection is going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to bring in a new reality. It's going to bring in a new way of relating to God. And I think that that's just the source of this confusion. They, they just don't get it. They, don't, they, they, they can't get it. They don't understand. And so for now, they're just going to have to wait. Just like when the pilot flies his plane into the cloud and needs to be patient and trust his instruments. When we are confused, we must be willing to wait patiently. See, I think we automatically just want to jump up and we want to grab the controls and we just want to try to make it happen, get out of whatever is causing us the confusion, just get out as quick as possible. But that could end in disaster. It doesn't always help. We need to wait. Jesus is calling us to wait. He'll come. He'll come. So in the cloud, there's this, there's this confusion, but there's also sorrow. Jesus talks a lot about sorrow. Look down in verse 20 again. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. There's going to be weeping. There's going to be lamenting. I mean, life is going to be difficult and sorrowful. These are not pleasant feelings. I mean, the confusion is bad enough. And, and for those of you who have been in those confusing stages of your life, not knowing what to do, decisions to make, man, when you add sorrow and, and lamenting and, and just this sadness, it just makes it all the much worse. And just to rub a little bit of salt in the wound here, Jesus says that the world is going to rejoice. While, while you're sorrowful, while you're mourning, the world rejoices. That hurts. Now think with this, we see a, 
This is perhaps a little bit of a, a picture of what Jesus is talking about or when Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection because the word lament is a funeral word. It carries the idea of expressing sorrow through song, to, to sing a dirge. But the sorrow for the disciples was going to be turned into joy when they saw their resurrected Lord. And that's a joy that cannot be taken away. So, so there's confusion, there's sorrow in the, this cloud of life without Jesus. And Jesus also indicates that there's going to be tribulation. Skip all the way down to verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, it doesn't take much to figure out what tribulation is. It's just a hardship that we face as followers of Christ, living in a world that opposes Christ. We are oppressed in various degrees, and that oppression causes us distress and anguish at times. Just about a year ago, we're working on a new church plant, and we, we made a Facebook page for the town that we were working in. And we were doing some different events, trying to get people to come, doing some different Bible studies, evangelistic studies, and just different things. And uh, we discovered on Facebook that you can um, promote your post or something. I don't know what the technical term of it is. I'm not a Facebook person. but So we... We promoted it, you know, and it, is, it really reached, you know, several thousand people in, in the surrounding areas. Most of the comments were pretty positive as, as it, it drew in a lot of uh, traffic, and most of them were pretty positive. But there were some that were not so positive. And one guy even wrote in there one time, Ah, that's all we need, the evangelicals. They're worse than the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, now I will admit that's not great tribulation, okay? But it is discouraging. I mean, you, you go and you work and, and you pour your heart in to, to work with the people and you just get no, 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 closed door, closed door, closed door. And then you read comments like that. It, sometimes, to be honest with you, it just made us want to just say, forget it. Forget it. Why, why even try? It doesn't feel good, does it? tribulation. So that's the cloud of life without the physical presence of Jesus. There's confusion, there's sorrow, there's tribulation, there's just lots of waiting. And you might be here this morning and not be a believer. You might say, well, my life is characterized by these things too. What's, what's the difference? It's not just for Christians. My question for you at this point is, well, how do you make it through your cloud? How do you make it through? What are your resources that you have? What, what is your hope? So think about that as we look at these instruments now that Jesus makes available to the believer to guide us through. And, and may it be something that your heart longs for. 
and pushes you towards faith in Jesus. So let's look at these instruments, and there's three. The first instrument that Jesus leaves for his disciples is prayer. That's right, prayer. Let's look at verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now look down at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. There's something in these verses that I've really never thought about before. But really up until this point, the disciples haven't prayed. Now, or at least I should say, they haven't prayed in the way that Jesus is instructing them to pray here. That is, in his name. They've not needed to pray. I mean, Jesus has been with them. They can go right to him and say, Jesus, what about this? What about that? Can you do this? He's been like right there. But now there's going to be a fundamental shift. The death and resurrection is going to bring a change in the way that we communicate with God. They will be able to go directly to the Father. And they can go directly to the Father because the Father loves them. The Father loves them. Now, I don't think Jesus' point here here is that we don't need him, right? We don't need you anymore, Jesus. You've served your purpose now. We can go, no, that's not the point. We need Jesus. The only way that we can come to the Father is only through Jesus. The Father loves us and accepts us because of what Jesus has done for us. Father loves us because we love Jesus and we believe in him. And when we go, when we go, come before the Father, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever. Hmm. Whatever. I think that we intuitively know that Jesus isn't just opening up, you know, the the storehouses of heaven and you're saying, ask for whatever it is that you want and you're going to get it. You know, new car, better relationships, whatever it may be. Nor is in Jesus' name a phrase that we just add to our prayer so that we can guarantee that we get what we're asking for. Like a magic wand that we wave. Praying in Jesus' name means we pray in line with what Jesus has done for us. We pray in line with what he taught. We pray in line with who he is. Praying in Jesus' name means that we pray according to his will. There was a book uh, written back in 2005 by a pastor, Brian Chapel, and 
And he wrote specifically on this subject about praying in Jesus' name. The title of the book is Praying Backwards. And I think the subtitle kind of says it all. Transform your prayer life by beginning in Jesus' name. Let me say that again. Transform your prayer life by beginning in Jesus' name. And so the big idea is that maybe we should start our prayers with in Jesus' name instead of ending them that way. I mean, think about that. If, if you start your prayer in Jesus' name, I pray for, in Jesus' name, I ask for, you're going to think twice before you finish that sentence, aren't you? Wait, is this really in line? Would, would Jesus really ask this? It kind of helps us to make sure that whatever we ask is conformed to the will of God. As we fly through this cloud of life, we need to be praying people. People who pray according to God's will. People who pray boldly, knowing that the Father loves us and desires to respond to our prayers. What a vital, vital instrument to hold on to. Listen, if, if you're finding yourself, maybe even in this moment, in that period of confusion, or maybe you're just overwhelmed by sorrow or tribulation or whatever it is, turn off the phone, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, whatever it is, and, and get away and just pray. Take a walk. And if you don't know what to say, that, that's Okay. Just, just, just let it come out of your heart. Maybe just be silent. Pray. Because that's how you're going to make it through that cloud. Another vital instrument that Jesus gives us here for, for going through this cloud is, is faith. It's faith. Look with me as we try to understand what this passage says about faith and down in verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. See, Jesus acknowledges that the disciples do indeed have faith. And in particular, he says that they have believed that he came from God. And I think that is kind of shorthand for the fact that the disciples have believed in who he is and in what he came to do. Because the very next verse, verse 28, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus is speaking of his incarnation, his, his mission to seek and to save the lost through his impending death and resurrection and his return to glory. Now, obviously, the disciples don't fully understand all of that because it hasn't happened all yet. But what they do know, they believe. They believe in Jesus. Now, go down to verse 29. So now his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So even the disciples are saying, yeah, 
We do believe in you. And it's not the first time that we see that the disciples believe in Jesus. Even other verses back earlier in John, they say the same thing. They believe. They're believers. And in some way, they feel like a little bit of the confusion is being cleared up. But things take a little bit of an interesting turn. In verse 30, because Jesus answered them, he says, do, do you now believe? Do, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now we could read those verses and say, well, Jesus is questioning their faith. Like as he's saying, they, they really don't believe. But he had just affirmed their faith two verses prior. That they, they do believe. So what's going on? Do they believe or do they not believe? I mean, because let's face it. Leaving Jesus in his hour of need and heading home is not an act of faith. It's an act of unbelief, isn't it? So what's going on? I think what we see in the words of Jesus in this question, do, do you believe, is the fact that their faith is about to be tested. You know, our, our faith, in some sense, is always being put to the test. Do we really believe what we say we believe? But this testing of our faith produces a more robust faith. It, it, it produces a more mature faith. True faith will endure and be made more strong. And I think there's something that I find kind of encouraging with what Jesus is saying here in this little interaction. And it's a little bit more implicit. And I think what he's getting at is that the disciples don't have to have perfect faith. It's okay. You don't have to have perfect faith. I mean, he could have really responded much differently and much more harshly, couldn't he? Oh, yeah, you, you say you believe, but you don't. You're about to abandon me. I'm, right when I need you the most, you're going you're gonna to hit your head for the hills. What kind of faith is that? That's not faith. You're unbelievers. But, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't deny their faith. Now, to be sure, I think he is rebuking them. There, there, there is a sting to the words that he brings to them. But his words are not words of rejection. And that's encouraging. So I don't know about you, but my actions don't always measure up to my declaration of faith. Say I believe, but then I go off and do something that's just very un unbelief. <laughs> How do you say that? My faith is not perfect. It's growing. And I hope that yours is too. So I think on the one hand, we should be encouraged that Jesus is patient with imperfect faith. And on the other hand, we should be challenged to grow in our faith, to to not get complacent and make, make excuses, but, but rather take steps forward. The testing of the disciples' faith 
brought out the weakness of their faith as they were scattered to their homes. But in, in doing so, they were ultimately strengthened. Their faith was made more strong. So, that, so there's the instrument of prayer and there's the instrument of faith. But there's also the instrument of victory. Victory. So how is victory an instrument for us to use? Look again with me at verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The last words of teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes to the cross are words of victory. He has overcome the world. The world may oppose all that is of Christ. The world may persecute those who belong to Christ. The world may discredit all that Christ did and taught. The world may make the life of the believer miserable. But take heart. Be of good courage. Look in the face of danger and don't budge. Why? Because he has overcome. He has overcome. Jesus has won the decisive victory. He is the victor. It might not seem like it, but through his death and resurrection, he has defeated the enemy once and for all. Now the disciples cannot even begin to grasp the power and the victory that this event will bring. And, and really for a few days there, it's going to seem like defeat. But they're soon going to find out it changes everything. Jesus will send these disciples to the ends of the earth as his ambassador, bringing the good news of the gospel. I mean, these very disciples who in the next few hours will abandon him God will use to turn the world upside down. And they're going to do it in the midst of persecution, in the midst of tribulation, and knowing that Jesus has overcome. The good news for us is that Christ's victory is our victory. It's given to us. The Apostle John, who, who wrote this gospel, also wrote a, another letter later in his life that we call 1 John. And this is what he says. For everyone who, who has been born of God overcomes the world. Let me read that again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We are overcomers. We are overcomers in Jesus. 
Because of our faith in Him, He gives us His victory. Paul also says that in Christ we are more than conquerors. In Christ. So don't go around thinking that you're something special, some kind of superhero. I'm a Christian. I got gospel lasers coming out of me or whatever. No, no, no. It's, it's Jesus. It's in Him. And this victory is lived out in the midst of tribulation, the midst of sorrow. If we want to walk in victory, we must keep our faith in Jesus by focusing on Him, by trusting in Him and in Him alone. Despite the circumstances of our lives, we must be focused on Him. So that means praying in the midst of tribulation, praying that we can persevere, praying that we can love our enemies, praying that we won't fall into despair, and believing, having, keeping, maintaining that faith. See, see, all three of these things work together to bring us through the cloud. It's the prayer, it's the faith, it's, it's His victory that He's given to us. Let me, let me come to a conclusion here by drawing attention to the benefits of using these instruments. And these are good benefits. We spoke of the weeping and the lament and the sorrow and the anguish, tribulation, but Jesus is offering us joy. Joy. Even though there's going to be sorrowful times, our sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus said it's like a woman who gives birth. It's difficult. There's anguish. There's tribulation. But when the child is born, there's joy. And then we have this wonderful promise. No one will take our joy from us. And then in verse 24, he says, Ask, you will receive, that your joy may be full. Joy is being offered. Will you take it? Will you take it? And it's more than mere happiness. But it's something that we feel deep down in our soul that is produced by the Holy Spirit. That's joy. That's fullness of joy. That's a joy that can't be taken away. And not only do we get the benefit of joy when we use these instruments, but we also get the benefit of peace. This is why Jesus has said all these things to the disciples. All, all these things, this whole last night. Why, why did he tell them all this? He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. Now, remember, I mean, just what's going to happen in just a few hours. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to have some sham of, of, of trials as he goes before Pilate, as he goes before the chief priests and the scribes, and as people shout out, crucify him. All that's going to happen. But he says, in me you can have peace. See, biblical peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict, but rather the state of well-being that things are okay with my soul because God is in control. He's in control. He's got it. 
And so the rains will come and the wind will blow. But if your life is built on Jesus, you're going to stand. You're not going to fall because he's faithful. If you're not experiencing this joy and this peace in your own life, take note to the cloud that you're living in. Don't, don't ignore what's happening. Don't try to deny it. But then check out these instruments. Don't focus out there. Don't ignore it, but don't focus on it. Focus on these instruments. Are you praying in Jesus' name? Is your faith firmly rooted in Jesus, or is it in something or someone else? Are you walking in the victory that you have in Jesus? This, this is the hope that we have in Jesus. He will bring us through the cloud. Do, do you have this hope? His victory can be your victory if you'll believe in Him. Confess your sins. Ask, ask for forgiveness. He'll, he'll make you new. And you'll be able to come before the Father with boldness because of the blood of Jesus, because of what He's done for you. This is real hope. This is real peace. This is fullness of joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we, we confess, we say, we, we acknowledge the, the fact that life is difficult sometimes. There, there's sorrow, there's hardships around us. We have to endure living life in this fallen world. But Lord, we, we thank you that you have not left us alone, that you are faithful, that you are carrying us. You've, you've given us prayer so that we can come boldly before you. you. You've given us this instrument of faith so that we can believe in you despite the circumstances that are around us. You've given us the victory. That we can look in the face of danger and be courageous, not, not budge, all because of you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.